Funny story, funny thing that happened. I, I was thinking about this, and, and I, I opened this idea by saying, hey, this, it was a funny story that happened, <clears throat> because I was going to start off by saying, like, man, I've got some really bad news, but then I realized that I'm about to tell you about a story about me going to the doctor, and if I start off by saying, like, hey, I've got some bad news, I went to the doctor this week, and that might scare some of you, it, it might make some of you really happy or excited, I don't know. But uh, there's a funny story. So I had to go to the doctor, typical checkup, and uh, they do something at the doctor's office now. I don't know if you're aware of. It's called blood work. So I went to the doctor for my little checkup, and he did blood work. And uh, everything was good. I mean, they let me leave without putting me in the hospital, so that was a good thing, so I come home. A few days later, something happens in my life. There's a little envelope that comes in the mail. And I open this envelope, unfold the piece of paper, and I start looking at it. And there's just bunches of letters all over it, like your LC3s and your PLCs and your... Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, they need a separate page of, like, a, a, a guide to know what it is they're talking about. It was just letters. And uh, there were numbers next to the letters, and to me, they looked great, you know? I'm sure you feel that way when you go to the doctor and get your reports back. But then at the very bottom of that piece of paper, there was something handwritten. And it was this. Doctor's note. Low-fat diet and exercise. (laughs) Why are you laughing? Y'all some sick people in here. Low-fat diet and exercise. It ruined my whole week this week. What was that? I heard like somebody clearing their throat. I didn't, my, my wife's in the nursery. I'm just making sure she didn't sneak in here. Ruined my whole week. I'm still hungry. I'm hungry now. I mean, it's every night my wife and I, we're going to bed, we're going to sleep. Good night, honey. I'm hungry. I mean, it's just... it's. It's just crazy. That one line, low-fat diet and exercise. That one line is written on a piece of paper I get in the mail, and suddenly everything changes. I mean, everything changes. Now, I don't get to eat desserts. I know. (laughs) Pray about that. I don't get to have candy. I don't get to drink sweet tea and Kool-Aid. All right, all right, hold on, hold on. I'm kind of a grown man. Maybe I should have given up Kool-Aid years ago, but it's so good, right? They say, I can't have that. Y'all know sometimes people, by the generosity of their heart and because God has his favor on them, they bring food to the church sometimes. I think God has his hand on them on this amazing thing. I couldn't eat it. It was harsh. And I start thinking about that one line, low-fat diet and exercise. And I think, why did this man do this to me? I mean, who, who is he? Why is he trying to ruin my week or my month or even longer? Why is he doing I barely know the guy. And more importantly, why am I listening to him? Or why is my wife listening to him and then causing me to eat all these different things? Why? Low-fat diet and exercise. See, the answer to these questions of why am I listening to this guy and why why am I changing? Why did this suddenly bring about this radical change in my life? It's one answer for all these questions. And the answer is this. 
authority. Authority. And see, we've all dealt with authority. We've dealt on it, dealt with it in some level. At some point in time, whether you're a current student or a former student, you dealt with the authority of the teacher or the principal. If you have a job, then you're dealing with the authority of your supervisor or your boss. If you um, have, if you're still living in your parent's house, you're dealing with the authority of a parent. If you've ever been pulled over for a speeding ticket, see, I said about my little low-fat diet, and you all laughed. We talked speeding tickets, and suddenly it's all serious up in here now. Hmm, maybe we're thumping on a nerve. So since nobody in here has ever had to deal with a speeding ticket, when the police officer is directing traffic and he points to you and he tells you which way to go, authority tells you what? You go that way. We've all dealt with authority in some level, but I would probably be willing to admit that we still deal with authority. We have experience with authority every single day. We've started a study of God's word. And this morning, which is week two of our study, we're going to be talking about the authority of God's word. Now, you're going to need your copy of God's word today. And since we're going to be bouncing around a little bit, I'm going to invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, but just hold your place there. We're going to get there a little bit later, uh, but we're going to be spending the majority of our time in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So I invite you to turn there. Now, as we walk through these scripture references, as we talk about God's word and the authority of God's word, if you want to jot down some of these scripture references and go back and study them later, you're more than welcome to. Uh, but I don't want you to feel like you're going to be turning your pages back and forth, back and forth, uh, because then you're focused on turning pages and we're not able to have this time together. So uh, turn to second, First Corinthians chapter 2 and just hang out there, because that's where we're going to spend a lot of our time together. But before we get there, I want to pull up a, a passage of scripture, uh, and I believe we have it up top. It's found in 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. We actually referenced it last week. This is what God's word says in 2 Timothy 3, 16. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So in order to establish how the Bible is the authority of the scriptures, then we need to understand and wrap our minds around this passage of scripture in 2 Timothy. And, and while we have the purpose of what it is, I want us to kind of focus on that first part of that verse where it says all scripture is God-breathed. Now, some of your passages of scripture may say God-inspired, but the actual translation is God-breathed. And what I want you to hear from that is kind of a metaphorical context of saying that the word of God, the written word of God, scripture, Bible, is literally the breathed-out word of God. Now, hang with me. Because we're going to kind of academically walk through some of these things together to understand the authority of God's word. Got it? So when we talk about things that are God-breathed, again, we're talking about the metaphor. Did God literally speak every single word that we have in our English translation of Scripture? No. We do know that God spoke in Scripture. We do know that it was written down in Scripture. Sometimes they even use tablets. We know these things, but when we talk about the written word of God, we're talking about that it is literally God breathed out. And how it is written is the fact that it's breathed out by God into the hearts and minds of man, and then God used human hands to write it. Now, I want you to understand this. This is found in 2 Timothy. Who wrote 2 Timothy? Paul. Very good. Somebody always says Timothy, so I applaud you for not saying that today. 
Or either I should answer the answer before somebody said Timothy. Paul wrote to 2 Timothy. Now, as Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, the second letter to Timothy is actually the last writing of Paul before he's executed. We see, and we have to remember, that if he's talking about all Scripture as God breathes, that he's mainly talking about the Old Testament. It's been several hundred years since the last writing, the last entry was made into the Old Testament, and those are the scriptures that they had. So when he's talking about all scriptures God breathed, he's referring to the Old Testament, in which we see the Old Testament, we see different authors, we see different writers, we see the different content, we see all throughout the Old Testament, you see, and then the Lord of the God came to so-and-so and spoke this, or we see God himself speaking through people. We see the word of God coming through. So for us to talk about the authority of scripture, we talk about that it's god breathed and since it comes from god that's kind of the highest authority there is when we talk about authority you think about one thing that helps us define authority truth i mean think about it the people you know if somebody had a question for you and it's bigger than you but you know to go to somebody else they're the authority on the matter you know what i'm saying does that make sense if somebody wanted to come talk to me about electrical work I'm not going to be much help, but I'm going to say, you know what, I'm going to refer to you, my friend Greg Dobbs, and I say that because he's sitting right there. I say, you know what, Mr. Greg can answer any one of your questions. Why? Because he knows way more than me. So in my life, he's an authority on the matter. Y'all see what I'm saying? When it comes to student ministry, I'm going to refer to you to Terrence because he's the authority of the matter. He's awesome. There's not much I can actually help you with. So I say that because don't get your hopes up if you have a question for me. But I'll try my best. Unless it's something like, you know, fantasy football, then I'm, I'm kind of the authority on the matter. You know what I'm saying? So I'm just throwing it out. But when it comes to authority, we base that on truth. And since we're talking about truth, we're looking at the ultimate authority, which is God the Father. Now, we also see in the writing that when it talks about, I, I am the way, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Understand this. There is a specific reason why that word truth is used. We don't say God is true. We say God is truth. Why? Well, the reason we talk about God being truth, thus establishing his authority, is because if we're just saying God is true, well, guess what else is true? The United States is in the North American continent. That is true. That is a true statement. God is more than just true. He is truth. He's the top of the pecking order when it comes to truth. There is no truth greater or more knowledgeable than him. So when we're talking about the authority of God's word, I'm talking about it's God breathed. It literally comes from the breath of God. It's God spoken into the hearts and minds of man, written in human hands. Then it comes from the ultimate authority based on truth. Are you with me so far? So a lazy way for us to kind of connect some dots to kind of see what I'm talking about here is to think about what we started with. Doctor's office. You're sitting in the doctor's office. The doctor comes in. And he gives you doctor's orders. He gives you a prescription. He tells you what you need to do. Why? Because he's the authority on the matter. Because what he's coming to tell you is truth because it's good for you. It's to help you. It's to set you on the course of health. Same thing when it comes to school, the teacher's assignments. It is truth that they're trying to give to you so that they have a map in their head of where they're trying to academically take you in order for you to succeed. Same thing with your, your boss or your supervisor. They come in and they give you orders. They tell you something to do. Why? Why do we do that? Because they're the authority. Because they know the truth. Think about it on a bigger scale. When we have those moments, do we stop and question these people? Do we stop and think about 
you know, who gives you the right to do that? I mean, I, if I were to go to my doctor tomorrow when he's back in his office and be like, hey, doc, uh, can, I, can I see your transcripts? I, I just need to kind of know your background, your educational level of experience, where you finished in your class. I need to know what, law, what med schools gave you the title of doctor. Can you just give me some of those things? Why don't I do that? So trust him. You know, last Monday, last Monday, there was a blood drive in the refuge. And I thought about this when I was kind of preparing this sermon. I thought about it after the fact. I walked in the refuge, and I went and laid down on this little makeshift table. And a lady whom I had never seen before, I have no idea who she is. I don't even know her name. She doesn't even know my name. Walks up to me, sticks a needle in my arm, and starts sucking my blood. At what point in time does this make sense to anybody? Like, when did I say, excuse me, ma'am, before you go and, like, pierce me, um, can we just talk about what gives you authority to do this to me? What gave her authority is she's here with, uh, with, with this organization. I sit down. This is what they do. She was employed by them. I'm assuming that she's the authority on the matter. She sticks a needle in my arm. Blood is given. I'm still alive. We, we just kind of submit to these things when it comes to authority, don't we? That's what you're supposed to do to authority is we submit to this authority. Here's what you shouldn't do. License and registration, please. Matter of fact, can you step out of the car? Before I step out of the car, officer, I'd like to know what year you finished the academy, what order you finished the academy, what your current rank is, and what qualified you to be in this position. If you can't give me these informations, I'm driving on because I don't think I was really speeding. How's that going to work for you? Not good, because he got a gun, you know what I'm saying? So there's different reasons that we look at authority, and we don't even question them. We don't stop and think about these things. Their authority and their position declares that they know more than me in what they do. So, let's put it in the context of God. When we look at God's word, is it an authority figure in your life? And we're talking about the authority of the word of God. This is what we're going to establish and move forward with today. But before we do, it's not a decision that we make corporately. It's a decision that you have to make individually as a human being, much less as a follower of Christ. Do we trust and submit to the authority in God's word as it's given to us? Because this lady stuck a needle in my arm and I didn't ask a single question. But when God's word declares something in my life, How much am I rubbing against that? How much am I pushing against that? How much am I fighting that? How much am I submitting to the authority of God's word? I guess what I'm asking you individually is, is God's word authority in your life? Now, all throughout scripture, God, the Bible claims to be God's word. We can't refute that. The Bible repeatedly over and over claims to be God's word. But are you convinced? Now you might say, well, of course I'm convinced. I'm a Christian. Of course I'm convinced. I've been raised in the church. Of course I'm convinced. But you know what? Your life and how we submit to the authority of God's word will determine whether or not we actually are convinced that it is truly authority. In our day and age, we're living in a world where the Bible is just like everything else. It's optional. That we look at God's word, we take his word, and we treat it like a buffet. That we come through and we're reading it and be like, oh, that's good. I'm going to post that on my Instagram and claim that over my life. Oh, I don't like that part. Let's turn the page. Let's go to the next chapter and skip. If God's word is ultimate authority, 
and we take it all in. Whether we agree with it or not, it's authority. You know, all throughout high school, I disagreed with my teachers and the assignments they chose to give me. Didn't matter. I can disagree all I want. At the end of the day, I'm going to be graded on those assignments. So are we willing to submit to this authority? Now, taking it a step further before we go further, I know in a room this size with this many people, there's a really good chance that there's a skeptic in the room. So I want to talk to you, skeptic about whether or not it's actually God's word, whether or not it's what everybody thinks it is. I just want to talk to you for just a minute, and I want to let you know something. I want you to be a part of this conversation. I want you to be included, and as we walk through and unpack this idea of authority, but what I want you to do is potentially leave your mind open to the potential truths that you're going to discover today and not be sitting there with the mind of a skeptic Just hearing it through your presupposed ideas and opinions of what God's word is. I want you to be a part of this conversation. But I want you to hear it for what, let God say his side of the story, not just what you think it is. So we're going to move forward in this. So we talked about the fact that the Bible claims to be God's word and that we can't refute, but we can refute whether or not we're convinced that it is God's word. So as we talk about this, we can look all throughout scripture And going back to that part in 2 Timothy 3 where Paul says all scripture is God-breathed. It is from the mouth of God. It is metaphoric in the sense that that God spoke these words that we have as the Bible into the hearts and minds of man and used human hands to write them out. We also see in the New Testament that there are some glimpses of the same thing. Read this to you. It's found in 1 Corinthians 14.37. We don't have a slide. You can just write it down and go later. 1 Corinthians 14.37 says this. Paul says this. If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that what I am writing to you is a command of the Lord. So even in the New Testament, we see where human authors, through the conviction of God, are writing things because God commanded them to do so. So even whereas we use a lot of scriptures found in the New Testament to validate the Old Testament and its authority, we can also do the same thing for the New Testament. But let's take it one step further. Uh, this is a passage of scripture that's going to be on the screen. It's going to be in 2 Peter chapter 1. So don't worry about turning there. You can just write it down. 2 Peter chapter 1. I want you to see this passage beginning in verse 19. Peter says, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Look at this in verse 20. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. See, these three verses, it speaks to believers, it speaks to skeptics, it speaks to memorizers, it speaks to haters, it speaks to a little bit of everybody, that we get an idea of the authority of the word of God. And we can go on all day long, we could literally be here until small groups tonight talking about the evidence upon evidence that we have in scripture that's pointing back that this is God's word. Just for example, Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, when Jesus is quoting scripture to Satan, he says, is it not written? He's quoting scripture, pointing to the fact of its validity and its authority. 
2 Peter 3.16, 1 Timothy 5.18, John 14.26, John 16.13, Acts 1.16, Matthew 1.22, all of Psalm 119. We have all throughout Scripture God's Word validating God's Word and showing us of its authority, showing us that it is from God. These are commands and the Word of the Lord meant for us to have and receive so that we can submit to the authority and live out the faith that God has given us so that we may have life and have it to the full. But this passage in 2 Peter introduced a variable that we haven't spoken about yet. And it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. So back to you, skeptic. Because right now I think I I know where you're at. I think I know what you might be thinking. And you're very clever. I do want to make sure you know that. I'm not insulting you. You're very clever. Because you're sitting here listening to this and you're thinking, okay, so what I'm hearing you say is that the... That God's word is authoritative because God's word declares it to be authoritative? You're talking about a circle argument. That we have God's word that says it's authority and it's authority says it's God's word. It's a circle argument. That, that, that might be kind of what you're thinking about. So you're telling me that the only substantial evidence you're presenting is that God's word declares itself to be the word of God. And I answer you this way. Yeah. That's exactly the argument I'm making. And I'll give you three reasons why the Bible is God's authoritative word. The first one is this, to appeal to your human reason and logic. In establishing authority, everything that claims authority eventually comes back to validating itself. In establishing authority, everything that claims authority eventually validates itself by coming back to itself. Let's go back to the doctor example. When I'm sitting in a room, that doctor walks in the room. Who's the authority in the medical field in the room? The doctor. (laughs) I love how nobody said you. Not even trying to be funny. I get it. Kind of hurts, but I'm all right. The doctor is the authority figure in the room. Now, why is the doctor an authority figure? Because he has the title of doctor. Ah, but Justin, he has that authority because it's been given to him by a higher authority. Well, let's talk about that. Why was that authority as doctor given to him? Because he studied, because he made the grade, because he jumped through the hoops, because he passed all the clinicals, because he did all the tests, because of himself, right? That's what made him the doctor. His authority as doctor was merited by his own hard work and ability to earn the title of doctor. An even further example of his authority is that his med school and his clinical supervisors and all of these people related to the field that got him to be a doctor When he walked in and gave me news, he was the only one in the room. If they're the true authority, why didn't they come in the room with him? Oh, that's right, because he is the authority based on what he has accomplished. Do you see what I'm saying here? I don't want to lose anybody. But if we're talking about a circle argument, anytime we're establishing authority, it comes back to that person or that thing validating itself. No, 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 Justin, you don't understand. He was declared doctor by a board of supervisors, medical supervisors over him. Okay, what put them in their position? Maybe their smarts, their ability to jump through hoops, their ability to take tests and excel in their area based on what? Their own talents and their own knowledge. So for you to point fingers as a skeptic and say, but what's your argument you're making about God's word validating itself and that's what gives it authority It's exactly the same authority that we give every single other thing. That the officer that's standing at your car 
writing you a ticket did so. He's the authority. It's not like the sheriff or, or the police chief or the governor is standing next to him as the ultimate authority. He has been given authority based on his ability to pass all the tests, jump through all the hoops, to have that authority to give you a ticket. Do y'all see what I'm saying here? Please, and if it's not clear, let me know. We're not going to let you know we're ready to go to lunch. I get it. Starving here, okay? <laughs> Don't be sitting there throwing rocks because you're not hungrier than I am. So I just want you to think about it. When it comes to establishing authority, everything establishing authority eventually comes around to validating itself. Here's the difference. God, ultimate authority. And skeptic, this is why you struggle. Believer, this is why we struggle with submitting to the authority of God. We are sinners. We have sin in our life. We're fallen human beings. Therefore, because everything else that we've talked about has an authority thing that we think has established them as an authority, there is no higher authority over God. He is perfect and he is holy. And because we are not, we can't grasp that. So we struggle with admitting that God's word is authoritative because God is the ultimate authority. Now, we don't have a hard time talking to God when we need something. We don't have a hard time going to God when somebody's sick. But when it comes time to submitting our life to what God's word declares over us, he's the ultimate authority. Therefore, the words that come out of his mouth are the ultimate authority in our lives. And we have them right here in front of us. So the first reason of why God's word is the ultimate authority is because Everything that claims authority eventually comes back to validating itself. And God's no different because he's the ultimate authority. What authority over God is going to step in and say, oh, no, he's right. That, that's, really, that's really the word of God. He's God. Second thing is this, is what Wayne Grudem wrote. And I'm just going to read it word for word. He says, the Bible has been proven both within its pages and outside its pages. That, is historically, that it is historically accurate, internally consistent, Prophecies fulfilled and separated by hundreds of years between prophecy and fulfillment. It's a book that has influenced the course of human history more than any other writing. It changes millions of lives throughout history. It reveals the way to salvation. And this book that has all of these consistencies just so happens to claim hundreds of times to be the very word of God. So he's taken another look of the of the logic and reasoning approach to God's word to say it's never been proven wrong you can't find fault or flaw in it and I've had this conversation with so many people be like well yeah I know there's one thing where the Bible's not clear I invite you I will personally buy you lunch and want to have that conversation with you as long as you spend time looking at the greater context of the two discrepancies that you feel are inerrant with one another and after doing so, you still feel they contradict themselves? Let me buy you lunch and explain it to me. If I'm wrong, I will gladly declare to you I'm wrong and I will stand up here and tell you I'm wrong. Spoiler alert, I ain't going to be saying that. And it's not because of what I know, it's because of who I know. So I just want you to know, everything in God's word has proven true. There are still prophecies unfulfilled, and that's going to happen too. Behold, I am coming soon. Revelation 22. They will still happen, but there is nothing inconsistent in God's word that people can point to and be like, dude, it totally disqualifies itself. But if you're still looking for a third reason, I give you your third reason. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So if you've turned there, I want you to open there. And here's your third reason 
of why God's word is authority. Chapter 2, verse 13 of 1 Corinthians. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a, per- such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit is something else that skeptics tend to refute in order to give way to logic and reason. I get it. But that's why skeptics are so skeptical of the Bible. is Because they are looking at it through human logic and rational eyes. Guys, I'll be honest with you. I've been a believer for 24 years. And I'm still trying to figure it out. When I read God's word, there are still things that I just can't grasp kind of like, why does God love me? I can start right there. And the list just kind of fills up with books and books of things I can't grasp. But look at this. Since the authority of God is established by the work of the Holy Spirit, let's, let's talk about that Holy Spirit for a little bit. Let's just look at the whole chapter. Let's look at the rest of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Look at, look at what Paul's writing here. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom but on god's power church if we're going to declare god's the bible to be god's authoritative word then you have to understand it's not based on your ability to understand it it's based on god's power in it let's keep reading we do however speak a message of wisdom among the mature but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing no we declare god's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that god destined for our glory before time began praise god for his word amen None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, conceived the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. He kind of sums it up, doesn't he? That was sarcasm, but it's cool. 
It's truth too. It's all right here that all authority of God is revealed in his authoritative word. The literal breath of God given to us in a written format. And it has authority. No human mind or reason will be able to wrap their mind around it because it didn't come from a human mind or reason. Somebody says, well, what about the human hands that written? They were flawed. They were sinners. They were. Good point. Well, what if they accidentally wrote down something wrong, even if it was a wrong word? Because God was at work in their lives, in their hearts, and in their minds. And if you go and you look at their lives, the authors that, read, that penned these words, you see that they were living lives dedicated to the glory of God alone. So what about you? When we talk about authority, we're talking about authority. We're talking about bigger than what you can think, bigger than what you can experience, bigger than what you can choose for yourself. When we talk about authority, we're talking about more than a doctor who wrecks our diets and tells us how to live our lives. We're talking about more authority than a teacher who assigns work. We talk about more authority than a boss or a supervisor you can never please. We talk about more authority than an officer who's given you instruction. We're talking about God's authoritative word, the highest authority there is. It is above every single thing. All authorities and governments submit to it, and when they don't, one day they will, because one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. So skeptic, I want you to understand something. Maybe you don't believe this word. Maybe you don't believe it's as authoritative as I'm making it out to be, but I do want you to know something that's written in it. What's written in this word, skeptic, is that God loves you. And I'm not talking about you, the collective audience, although that's true too. God says in his word, he loves you. He tells us in his word that he forms you uniquely and intimately in your mother's womb, that he has a plan and a purpose for you. It tells us that you were made in his image. And he tells us that because that we are human and he is God, he is perfect and holy. And even though he gave us a great head start by being made in his image, we still messed it up. Because we thought we knew better. We thought we knew more. That's why you're a skeptic. Is because we want to do it our way. And here's the thing. Anything that's perfect, any semblance of perfection can have no fellowship with anything that is imperfection. Do you know why? Because when perfection mixes with imperfection, it loses its perfection. And God is holy. And God is perfect. And he does not sacrifice that. So we have a problem that we have a holy, perfect God who reveals himself through his holy, authoritative word. And here we have man, you, even you. That even in your skeptical mind or whatnot, you might not even believe what I'm saying, but you're going to hear me say it, that God loves you. And our imperfection and his perfection created a problem that we could no longer fellowship. So God fixed that problem for us because you couldn't. Because your imperfections and your flaws, we in the church call them sins, because we all have sins, and we have to understand that because of our sin, we are condemned to hell. That's the truth. It's in God's authoritative word. And because of our flaws, God said, I've got to figure out a way. Because just like the teacher, that if we don't do the assignment, if we don't submit to her authority, there's going to be punishment. Whether you agree with it or not, there's going to be punishment. So our flaws that separated us from a perfect God in fellowship, God said, you know what? 
there's going to be punishment. There has to be punishment. I'm going to give them a way out. I'm going to submit to them something equally perfect to take the punishment for them, to take their flaws, to take their sins, to take their filth on himself. He's going to sacrifice who he is for my glory and for their good. And his name was Jesus Christ. His name is Jesus Christ. And he gave his life willingly on a cross, then took on our sins. Skeptic, he took your sins. He actually gave you permission to be a skeptic because of how he loved and died for you. But his purpose behind it was that you would recognize that even in your skepticism, there's a little glimmer of hope and truth that the Holy Spirit's trying to reveal to your heart that says, I love you this much. I sacrificed my son so that he takes the punishment. He pays the consequences for your flaws, for your sins, so that by accepting this gift, and church, understand this, you have to accept the grace of Jesus. Just because he did it doesn't mean we're all covered. You have to choose to accept it. That's integral in your salvation. And skeptic, the idea behind it is because we have the choice now to choose to accept the sacrifice offered by Jesus Christ in our place so that we may have fellowship with a holy God. Whether you believe it or not, it is the truth of God's authoritative word because God's word is truth. It is authority. When we open it, we don't need to question it any more than we need to question the doctor or the police officer or the teacher. When we study it, we don't need to waste our time seeking credibility in it. We don't have to wonder when we read it, is this for our own good? This is God's authoritative word. We have to do with this word like we do with every other area in our life that we declare authority. We have to submit to it. And that's where we get scared about submission. It's the word of God, the ultimate authority, and we struggle this idea with submission. So let me just share with you a few things of what God's authoritative word, the authority he has to speak over the issues in your life. Because when God speaks through his word, we as a church have got to get to the place where we listen to it and we obey it and we believe it. Every word. Every word. So God's word says to the worrier, do not worry about your life. Matthew 6, 25. Do you believe it? Do you listen to it? When God says, don't worry about your life, are we like, okay, I submit to that. I'm going to stop worrying. I'm going to let go of some of these things and trust God. Because I trust his word. Because it's God breathed. To the fearful, he says, do not fear for I am with you. Isaiah 41, plus over a hundred other passages in scripture. To the husbands, he says, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her in Ephesians 5, 25. To the wives, God says in his words, submit yourselves to your own husband as unto the Lord. Ephesians 5, 22. To the children, he says, honor your father and mother. Exodus 20, 12. To the overwhelmed, he says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. To the hopeless, He says, and the the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast, 1 Peter 5.10. To the faithful believer, he says, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll, Revelation 22.7. To the church, he says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5.8. To the broken sinner, he says, I will give you a new heart. 
and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, Ezekiel 36, 26. To the one struggling with who you are or whose you are, he says, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. You want to know who you are? You're mine. That's what God says he is in Isaiah 43, 1. To every human being ever, he says in Isaiah 43, 4, I love you. God says every single person, I love you in Isaiah 43, 4. And then he says, let me show you how I love you, and it's called the Gospels. This is the authority of the word of God to speak over who we are, whose we are, what we kind of submit ourselves to when the authority of God says, I am God. Oh, church, church, won't you hear him? Declare his authority over your life. Won't you open this word and see the authority God has over you for his glory, for your good, for his kingdom? Oh, church, when are we going to let his authority, the spoken word of God, the written word of God, speak into our lives. Can I pray for you? God, I thank you so much for your written word. God, I thank you that it's trustworthy, that it's true. I thank you that it it's truth. It's not just true, it's truth. And God, I thank you that you made it readily available to us so that we can hear directly from you in who you are, in your character, in your nature, in your love for us, in your pursuit of us, in your desire for us, that even, even the skeptics, even the people that have turned their back on you, you still love them and seek after them and pursue them and desire fellowship with them, God. Because you don't sacrifice your son for nothing. And so, God, today, for the person that's just struggling with this whole concept of God or struggling with this whole concept of if the Bible is real or not, may they just, may you open to their eyes that even if they choose to struggle with it, that they no longer struggle with the fact that you love them, God. And, God, it is a love that is, it redeems. It takes away sin. Uncover it up, it takes it away. And it gives them the opportunity to call you Father. And then suddenly, this Bible doesn't make even more sense than it did before. But God, it is good news. God, for the, for the husband in this room right now that's struggling, may he put himself in submission to the authority of your word. To the T, to the period and comma, God, may he follow your word and how he loves his wife and his family and how he does his job and how he goes about carrying out his business and his life. God, may he submit himself to your authority. God, for the wife in this room that is hurting because of her struggle. Maybe her marriage is struggling because it says that wives are submit to husbands as unto the Lord. Maybe it's because they've never really submitted to you and your authority. God, open her eyes today, Father that she would see the beauty of your desire for her and she would submit to your authority, God, and then see the blessing of the husband you've given her, even if he's not worth celebrating, God. 
May she be a light to show him who you are by how she responds to him. God, for our church, for the people that are congregants at Westmead Baptist Church, may we submit to the biblical authority that we claim as a core value to say, God, whatever your word says, we'll do it. God, open our eyes. And most importantly, may we always lean on the Holy Spirit to show us what your word is trying to tell us. Even now, Holy Spirit, move. That if somebody here wants to speak or talk about what's going on in their hearts, give them the boldness and strength to come down the aisle. I'd love to talk to them about it. Terrence is here. He'd love to talk to them about it. There are godly people all around that would love to pray with them and encourage them, Father. We don't have all the answers. But, Father, when they turn to you, they start seeing truth. So we pray for that this morning. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. If you're struggling with something, I would love to pray with you and pray for you. The altar is open. Let's move towards the authority of God this morning together. Hold my